Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness to pray and to rest before he began his public ministry. This year during Lent, join Pastor Hook to pray and rest as we learn about our calling to be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. We are in episode 25 of our study called A Life-Changing Connection, and we have been in prayer. We started on yesterday in an episode of prayer. Today, we're going to continue on that. And I just want to do a little bit of review from yesterday where prayer can be thought of as a bunch of different ways that we can think about prayer. And one way of thinking about prayer is simply understanding that prayer is in the presence of the creator of the universe, that that in prayer... I like to think of it like this, that in prayer, no matter what else God is doing in the world, in the universe, at the moment that you are speaking to him or connecting with him or spending time with him, he is 100% focused on you. Of course, he could be 100% focused on other people too, but I like to feel that for for me, right, like he's focused on me, he loves me, he cares for me, and he's listening to me, he's being in my presence as I'm being in his presence. And just to think about that for a moment, that that for that moment of time where you're, spe- where you're in the presence of God, whether or not you're speaking prayers or thinking about God or just saying, God, I want to be in your presence right now. Let's, let's be together. That like he's, you know, as a kid, you know, mommy, daddy, come play with me type of stuff. And mommy and daddy are busy working or they're busy, you know, doing the things of the household to keep it running. It's like, well, okay, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. But at some point, mom and dad put all that stuff away. And then we come down and we sit on the floor and we play with, you know, our children. And we're in, we're present with them. And then what I mean by present with them is that, you know, we put everything else away. All the bills are paid. All the house is cleaned. All the food is cooked. All the dishes, you know, all that sort of thing. And even if it's not... We're, we're stopping and we're present with our children and our children are present with us. It's this moment of presence with each other. And I, I view that as the same thing with prayer, that when I stop and put all the other garbage and junk away and I'm just simply being in the presence of God and being with him, he's like the dad that comes down and sits next to me and says, okay, what do you, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to do? How, how does you want your day to go? And it truly is, for me, a huge, huge time of, um, I guess I would say it's it's a time where I realize that I am my father's beloved child. I'm not his only beloved child. There's a lot of other people, but for that moment in time, for those moments in time when I'm present with him, I just get this overwhelming sense of you are my beloved child. I love you. I care for you. And look at what I've done for you and look at the creation I've created for you and and I just get this overwhelming sense of, of protection, of belonging, being in the kingdom or whatever. That's, that to me is one type of prayer. And, and Jesus really does talk about this. Right before he talks about the Lord's Prayer, uh, he, he kind of indicates this. Uh, we can even look at this again, but Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8 Jesus says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have, their, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, 
Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask Him. So, I get this sense from Jesus even that prayer is not to be something show off and stand in the street corner and I'm doing this to show everybody how pious I am or I'm doing this to to show everybody that I'm a you know I'm connected with God or whatever. No, Jesus says no, that's not what prayer is supposed to be. Prayer is this time where you go into a you know, you go into a quiet room, you go into a quiet place. For me it's going out into the wilderness. Don't babble and you know, God knows what you want, even before you ask what you want, even if it's on your heart. You go out in prayer and you just spend time in the presence of God. He's listening to your heart. He knows what you need. Even if you don't even say any words, he is present with you. He knows what you need. And the Holy Spirit is in your life and the Holy Spirit takes your your groanings and perfects it into a perfect prayer for God. So, it's not even like you have to even spend a lot of time babbling nonsense or even speaking or whatever. God knows your heart even before you ask him. He knows what you need. But then Jesus goes on. Um, this is what he says. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'll just stop it right there. The first part of the Lord's Prayer is not even asking God what, God, here's my needs and please, please answer my needs because he already knows what you need before you answer it. So the first part of this prayer really is understanding who he is, that he's the creator of the universe, that he is, you are in the presence of the king of the universe but then, he's, then it's uh, your, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. First and foremost in this prayer is having God mold and shape our lives and our hearts and our desires and our will around his will. Like first and foremost, that's what our prayer should be. Before we even get to the asking about the things that we need in life, first of all, we set the frame for the prayer that God tell me, what it is that you want me to do in my life. Mold and shape me however you want to mold and shape me. I completely turn my life over to you and say, God, do in my life whatever you will. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> let go and let God. All these different slogans that we have that talk about this, there really is truth in this because life is difficult. Life can be challenging. There are struggles and tribulations. Some of those are healthy for us. Some of those God has allowed in our life to help us grow, particularly when we're surrounded by other people that help us grow in these trials and tribulations, and God wants us to grow. So, so the prayer is, okay, God, there's, here's something in my life. It's a challenge. I don't understand it, and I don't like it, but show me, Lord, how I can grow closer to you because of it. That is a fantastic prayer, and that's here in the Lord's Prayer. Um, but then he goes on. He's just give us today our daily bread. Very simple things. Jesus didn't have much, right? He, he walked all around with just the clothes on his back, the shoes on his feet, maybe a little bit of money. Who knows? But give us today our daily bread. We're not going to worry about tomorrow. 
You know, so much of life is worried about what's going to happen in the future. I think, I think part of this whole thing about this pandemic is what's the future going to look like and people worrying about it. And you can't worry about it. You, you simply can't. I mean, God's in charge. He's in control. It may look different. It may be challenging, but he's going to get us through it. And we're not going to, we're not going to, you know, completely turn around as a society. Some things will still carry on the same love relationships, people that we love that, you know, that we have in our life that perhaps, you know, a very, very small percentage of people have been killed by this thing. So the vast majority of us will have people that will still be around through this pandemic. It's just that things will be you know, different. You know, when the stock market crashed, was that 2008, 2007, 2008, 2000, I don't know, the stock market crashed. People lost 30 or 40% of their stock market value and they freaked out by that. And of course they should have because that's a lot of money that's, you know, going down the down the drain. But but in another sense, God, you know, God can work with a, you know, stock market crash. You don't, we, you know, we, we don't know what the future is going to hold, but we certainly know who's holding the future. All right, so I'm going to continue on. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is, this is our close out to the, to the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us for all the sins that we've done. Help us to forgive other people. Don't lead us into temptation. You know, give us strong, uh, keep us strong and in your word and in your presence and deliver us from the evil one. That, I mean, that's, that's a simple prayer that Jesus taught. And that is a prayer that I believe is a fantastic model for prayer. So memorizing this and knowing it and internalizing and even praying it is a fantastic prayer because it's the one that that Jesus gave to us as an example is this is a good prayer. But you'll notice that all this prayer is for us, you know, our Father who art in heaven. You could almost say my Father who art in heaven, except it is really truly a prayer that that indicates that we are not alone in our walk with Jesus, but we are surrounded by other saints, other Christians who help us in our walk with Jesus. It's a corporate walk. It's We are never isolated. We're never alone. We're surrounded by the church. We're surrounded by other Christian people. And the intent of Jesus is that we would never be alone. So this whole pandemic where people are isolated alone, we were never meant to be that way. We were meant to be in in community with other people. That's why Sunday morning coming to church and being a part of a community is such a fantastic thing because it's it's showing that we're part of another group of people. All right. But there's another aspect of prayer. I want to just talk about this a little bit this morning. And the other aspect, well, let me just read something to you. Um, this is This is Mark 10, beginning at verse 13. Uh, one day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on his heads and he blessed them. Placed his hands on their heads, and he blessed them. There were people at Jesus' time that simply wanted to bring their children in front of Jesus and have Jesus bless them. You know, and a bless is basically putting your hands on somebody's head, saying a prayer or or, or saying a blessing or whatever. It's it's a 
it's a moment of touch. It's a moment of human connection. It's a, it's a moment of invoking God's presence in a person's life so that, so that they know that God loves them and he cares for them. And people brought children to Jesus and the disciples are like, no, don't bring the children. Now, why would they do this? I'm guessing that they did this because Jesus probably did this a lot. It doesn't really say this a lot in scripture, but like, why would they bring the children to have Jesus bless if he wasn't also doing it to adults? So my limited understanding of scripture is that Jesus probably went around Galilee healing people, putting his hands on people, blessing them, calling God's blessing upon them, calling God's healing upon them, um, whatever he could do. I think there was this human connection between Jesus and the people that he came around that he did this. And so much so that the children wanted, that the parents wanted to bring the children to Jesus to do this. And the disciples said, no, 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 this isn't for children. This is for adults, right? And Jesus is like, no, children are actually the best way to receive this blessing because children understand, they, children don't overthink this, right? They're in my presence. They receive my blessing and they just go away happy that they receive my blessing. Where adults, they've got all this garbage in their life. They, they need healing. They need, they need, you know, all these different things that they need. But children can just come to, to Jesus and receive my and receive his blessing. And to me, one of the points I take away from this scripture is that Jesus was definitely involved in his ministry and just touching people and praying over them and blessing them. And he also was involved in a ministry of healing where he would look at a person and he would heal them. And the church, the the writers of the of the gospels called that semeon. It was signs that Jesus truly was who he was. So there's that kind of supernatural healing that Jesus did upon people periodically. And there's what, 22 or 23 healings that Jesus has in the, in the gospels. But there's also this idea that Jesus simply places his hands on people and prays over them and blesses them. And we kind of see this in the book of James. I want to, to read James 5. This is the end, the last chapter of James, and just beginning at verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So we get this sense that James is telling the early church to be like Jesus, to, to lay hands on people and to pray over them the blessing or the prayer of healing over them. Now, I believe that the church over the last 2,000 years has not placed enough emphasis on this idea of placing our hands on somebody, placing on their head, and asking for God's blessing, asking for God's healing, asking for God's strength, asking for God's forgiveness, just having this human connection. And so in the early church, James says, if you are feeling sick, call the elders of the church. Call spiritually mature people who will come into your life and pray over you, will anoint you with oil and pray over you. And this is what the early church did. There was no question that the early church did this, but it doesn't seem to be a practice that we necessarily do. 
I do it as a pastor many times. Well, whenever I'm visiting somebody in a hospital, I'll listen to them. I'll figure out what's going on and uh, I will give them spiritual care and then I will pray over them. And people tell me that this is a huge blessing in their life to have somebody do this over them. And I, and of course it is because, well, first of all, I'm listening to them, right? If you go through our Stephen ministry program, you will learn that, that simply listening to somebody, just listening to them, not prejudging them, not trying to give them solutions, not trying to do anything else, but just simply listening to where they are in their life. And then perhaps even repeating it back to them to say, this is what I hear you saying. Is this correct in what I'm hearing you say? And just getting that communication, helping people understand where people are in their life. Just that is healing. It's, it's hugely healing. And then you add on to that this idea of, okay, I'm going to listen to you. And then we're going to pray. We're going to go to God and we're going to pray about that. I'm going to ask God's deliverance from this. Or I'm going to ask God's presence in your life over this. Or I'm going to ask God to to bless you in this is hugely, hugely, hugely beneficial. When my niece died, she was 18 when she died. It was about 10, 11 years ago, eh, maybe 12 years ago. She, um, she died tragically in a car accident and I was unconsolable, inconsolable. I, I couldn't, I just couldn't get over it. I was, I was bitter and angry with God I was bitter and angry with a whole bunch of things. And of course, when you're a pastor, who do you go to for healing? Who do you go to to say, I'm hurting. This is something that really, really bothers me and I can't, I can't get over it. And um, many, many people in our congregation said, you know, my prayers are with you. And uh, it was a, you know, very, very loving, kind, generous congregation, but still wasn't helping. It wasn't until I went to breakfast with a bunch of pastors in Phoenix. We went to Applebee's. I still remember where we went. And um, I just pouring my heart out to these pastors. And one of them, probably the most mature pastor of the group, got up and placed his hands on me and just and said a prayer over me. And I felt this burden of anger just lifted off of me. It was really a, a phenomenal thing. Um, I don't think... I don't think I'd had experienced that prior to it, but it really elevated to me the importance of somebody just listening and then getting up and praying over another person. We, we don't do this a whole lot, and perhaps we should because it is an important, important part of being part of a Christian community. There are a lot of people that have looked into this, like what was this whole idea of of healing that Jesus did. And um, can the church do it today? And, and how is prayer a part of that? The guy wrote his doctoral thesis on this. Actually, it was a, at a medical school. Um, I think it's a medical school. Um, and just his conclusion. Let me, let me just le- read to you his conclusion on this. Um, he says, Christians often look at the healing ministry of Christ from a biological, physiological perspective. Hence, when they face severe physical ailments, they hope to witness the power of healing in their lives. They want God to intervene and restore their physical health. And when interventions do not take place, they become discouraged. So this is, this is kind of, I think, the modern evangelical Christian movement in the United States today. I don't know if it's necessarily Lutheran or Catholic or mainline, but this is kind of the modern evangelical. 
like we pray and we expect God because we have faith, you know, that, that God loves us, that he's going to answer our prayer. And when interventions don't take place, we become discouraged, right? But perhaps the problem emerges because they do not realize the healing ministry of Christ needs to be viewed within the greater context of salvation itself. To be saved is to be restored to wholeness. God wants to restore and redeem the whole person. Christ's ministry of healing aims at bringing about redemption in the various dimensions of human existence, not just the physical. God's plan of salvation is to address socioeconomic, spiritual, political, physical, and emotional dimensions. This thesis shows the healing ministry of Jesus while on earth aimed at restoring the whole person. His method of restoring the whole person is implied in the name Emmanuel, God with us. God coming to dwell with his people is astounding. God incarnate did many wonderful works, such as feeding the four, the 5,000, calming rough waters, walking on the water, calming the sea, and walking on water were good. But the real ministry took place where Jesus walked, worked, healed, lived among the people. Emmanuel is the source of healing for human brokenness, resulting from oppression, alienation, discrimination, and isolation. This is where the real ministry of healing took place in the life of Jesus. This is what this study, and it's his whole doctoral thesis is on this point, because he points out all the times that Jesus did heal people from a whole bunch of different things that we all stress about today. Like, what are you stressed out about in your life? Do you think that if you had somebody to just come and listen to you and place their hands on you and pray for God's blessing or healing in your life, that that it would be beneficial to you? And the answer is, of course. And the question I have is, why does this necessarily have to be me? What would happen if we created a whole congregation of loving disciples that really understood their role of discipleship in the world around to be in some, me- in some measure a healing, restorative nature of powerful force for healing and restoration in the world around us? And I really, really believe that that's what Jesus has called the church to do. I don't believe it is simply me. In the early church, maybe 100 to 200 AD, there were these guys called the Desert Fathers. They they lived in Egypt and they went out into the desert and they spent their time communing with God, being filled up with his presence, right? The first part of prayer is just being filled up with God. Well, what what if you spent a good chunk of your day just being filled with the presence of God. How would that make you feel knowing that you're his beloved child? People would come see these desert fathers and the desert fathers would basically place their hands over these people and pray and heal them also. The the early church, the early writings of the church talk about how amazing these desert fathers, they're the prototypical monks. Eventually these desert fathers went into monasteries, did a whole bunch of other things. But originally, Originally out in the desert, they were simply people that communed with God daily on, and for long periods of time to be filled with God and his presence and his blessing and his love and his joy. And then people would come see them and they would place their hands on them and heal them. And it was a very, very powerful thing. And we've so commercialized Christianity in the 21st century. I think we've forgotten that this is like one of the most powerful things that the church can do. And the reason why I say this is because there are now people coming out of this pandemic need, they need to have somebody listen to them and the struggles they went through and and basically 
pray over them, that God would heal them from this whole pandemic, that they would find hope for the future and all that sort of thing. I thought I would finish this topic before the end today, but I think I've got a few more things to say. So I think we're going to end it today and we'll just finish this topic tomorrow. Um, So would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, um, continue to fill us with more of you, but Lord, help us overflow that love that you give to us and to the world around us. This we pray through Jesus, through the power of your spirit. Amen.